Welcome to the Daily Naked Pair Podcast, brought to you by Rocco Blue, the first ever brand focused on supporting parents with special needs children. Naked Parent Nation is a group of parents with special needs children who are willing to get vulnerable, strip it all down, and take a look at ourselves, our parenting, our family, and our plans to create a life beyond our wildest dreams. Hello, Naked Parent Nation, and welcome to today's episode of the Naked Parent Podcast. My name's Chad Ratliff, and I'm your host. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about Am I Enough? Not sure if there's any of you parents in Naked Parent Nation that have ever wondered that. So we're going to dig into it a little bit deeper. But before I introduce you to our guest today, who's calling in from the suburbs of Chicago, let me start by sharing our community's preamble. Naked Parent Nation is a worldwide community of parents raising children with all kinds of needs. We come together to share our naked truth, support our fellow parents, and inspire the inner growth that each of us needs to build the life and family of our dreams. For the parents that are struggling, we want you to know that we will love you until you can love yourself. For your children, we pray and send power from our collective group. As we come to understand our divine nature, we realize that there's no need to feel sorry for ourselves, be angry, or fear lack. We come to understand that our feelings of limitation and separation are only in our minds. Through self-realization, we expand our consciousness so that the challenges that perplex us today dissipate one by one until we're able to see and experience gratitude and beauty in everything just as it is. We have the power to create any kind of life we want for ourselves and our families. We do this by living in the naked present moment, one day at a time. Esther and Jerry Hicks call it the science of deliberation, and we call it the answer to all of our prayers. So let's continue this journey together as individuals, parents, families, with a breathing exercise and short meditation. So sit up straight with your vertebrae straight. And let your eyes gently close. Lay your hands on your knees if that's comfortable for you. And we're going to inhale and we're going to tighten the muscles in our body. You can start in your legs to your mid area and then upper area, tightening it that way. And then when we exhale, we're going to release and unwind that tension from top, middle to bottom. We'll do that a few times, and then we'll move into a few moments of silence where I just want you to find that place where everything's okay and the challenges that are in your day disappear for a few minutes. So inhale intense, hold it, exhale and release. Inhale, tense, and hold it. Exhale, release. One more time. Inhale, tense, and hold it. And exhale, release. And then find that peace. And then forget about your breathing 
and let it just be a natural system. And while you're sitting quiet, I'm going to read something to you that I think will be good to think about while you take this moment for yourself. I am not weak, but strong. I am not helpless, but all powerful. I am not limited, but unlimited. I am not doubtful, but certain. I am not an illusion, but a reality. I cannot see in darkness, but in light. Now take it in as I read it one more time, a little bit slower. I am not weak, but strong. I am not helpless, but all powerful. I am not limited, but unlimited. I am not doubtful, but certain. I am not an illusion, but a reality. I cannot see in the dark, but in the light. I'm gonna read it one more time and I want you all to say it quietly in your head, repeat after me, but just mentally. I am not weak, but strong. I am not helpless, but all powerful. I am not limited, but unlimited. I am not doubtful, but certain. I am not an illusion, but a reality. I cannot see in darkness, but in light. You need a place to focus when you close your eyes, just raise your gaze to that space between your eyebrows, the spiritual eye. And just know that you can always come to this place whenever you need to get away from the outside world for a little while start to build a relationship with your inner world where you can find that space, that getaway, that, that, that you need to make it through. So you can slowly open your eyes and come back to the room where you are and I would like to introduce you to our guest today. Her name is Erin McClinton, and she'll correct me if I got the pronunciation of her last name wrong in a second here, but she's a working mom and wife. 
she's trying to be enough for her kids, her husband, and her job without losing herself in the process. She has two kids, Kaya and Miles, and Kaya is three with autism diagnosis, and Miles is one and a half and seems to be neurotypical thus far. So, Erin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Is it McClinton? Yeah, you did just perfect. Erin McClinton from Chicago. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today and share your story. You have two children. Can you tell us how it all started and when something seemed a little bit unexpected with your daughter? Yeah, so I know we're really early in our journey still since she's only a little over three years old now, but I started to think something might be not standard when like she started saying a couple words sort of around the time when you go to the doctor, they say like, oh, are they doing these things? And you're like, oh, no, she's not doing those things. And I mean, thank goodness for that, because as a parent, you're just doing what you think makes sense. Anyways, she wasn't pointing to anything. She wasn't following a point. Like when I came to the room, she would acknowledge me, but pretty much anyone else who came to the house or came to see her, she just like ignored them entirely. And a couple words that she had like, uh oh, or da da, she lost those words and wasn't saying them at all. And then finally, when she was about a year and a half, my mom, honestly, I mean, she's brutally honest sometimes, but she said, hey, like, I really think she should at this time, like, be able to say, like, hi or bye-bye or, or something. And it's honestly, it's not normal. And I was like, ah, you're probably right. So it was a hard pill to swallow just hearing that from her. But when you're a first-time parent, sometimes you don't know. You're like, I don't know. There, everything's different. That's really when I was like, you know what? Yeah. And, and also, I thought maybe something was wrong with her hearing because of how seldomly she actually responded when I called her name. But she had a bunch of ear infections for like three months straight. So I was kind of attributing some of the possible hearing issues to that. And then it was like, nope, she can hear fine. <laughs> I remember wanting the hearing test to come back with, I remember wanting to know that she was having hearing issues, my <laughs> child. Yeah. Because then it meant everything else was going to be okay. We were just going to have to deal with the hearing. That seemed like a, that was an easier pill, I thought, to swallow. So you got that information and what's your first, what's uh, the, when what's she the said that, hours like for you? First, it was just my mom saying it, but then I decided, you know what? I need to talk to my doctor about it. So the next well check visit with the doctor, I said, hey, is there anything like early intervention? Like I will say my sister, my mom, like they, they've got their feelers out. If there's anybody that's one of their clients or coworkers that has dealt with something, like they're gonna find out everything they can. So I'm very grateful for that because my sister told me there's something called early intervention. I think it's free through like the state or something and just ask about it. And so I asked my doctor, my doctor at a year and a half said like, oh, I don't think she's that far behind. I wouldn't recommend it. But then I, when my mom said that and I was like, no, 
I'm her mom. I, I know what doesn't seem right because I knew she was smart. So I didn't understand why she couldn't say anything's on track when I knew from other things that she was doing, like, she's a smart cookie. So what's the gap here? And so I thought at the very least, she needs speech therapy, probably. So I called the doctor back and was like, hey, I don't care if you recommend it or not. Like I want early intervention for my daughter. How do I do that? And so they called me back and actually one of the nurses had a daughter who was a preemie. And so she like knew everything. And I was like, hallelujah, because this is all new to me. And then we got her started with early intervention. They actually recommended speech therapy, occupational therapy, and developmental therapy. And so we got that started And that was right in the height of COVID. So it started out as virtual, which was an absolute catastrophe. But even if it was like impossible to have a two-year-old like attending to a virtual meeting, it was super beneficial to help me understand like what I could do as a parent to help her develop those things and kind of spur, you know, the next step in her development and all those capacities. So I, I want to reiterate, you know, for the listeners in Naked Parent Nation, that parents have more rights than we sometimes know, because I listened to my doctor for another year and a half say it's just a delay. And so we didn't do anything for the next year and a half because I just went on the, the journey that the doctor said. And I want the parents out there to know that you can call and say, no, I'm not looking for your opinion anymore. This is what. I want. And I'm glad that you are bringing that up because early intervention is super powerful statistically. And did your daughter have any kind of regression, did you feel? Or you said that she was progressing. Was there any kind of regression or was it just delayed throughout? It's not like she had a whole bunch of words and then it regressed. I mean, it was like little tiny things that I'm like, it's been like six months. Why hasn't she gotten any more? Actually, I don't even hear her say, uh-oh, or da-da. So I guess a little bit of regression, but the bigger issue was the lack of development when it comes to speech. And that was kind of my focus. But as we started with early intervention, and I learned so much from the occupational therapist, I was like, oh, there's a lot more going on with like her sensory processing needs that I think is making it so hard for her to participate in normal activities that, you know, two-year-olds can do. And really understanding that better was very helpful in me finding ways to not only connect with her, but help her feel comfortable and able to, you know, do things that two-year-olds and now three-year-olds want to be able to do. Yeah. What do the difficult days look like? How do the symptoms play out to make life challenging? Well, before the diagnosis, when I just thought like, oh, she's just not talking early enough and I didn't know the bigger picture, I will also say nobody wants to tell you your kid has whatever they think maybe they have. They just all happen to keep asking you the same questions like, does she walk on her tiptoes? Does she do this? Does she do that? And I'm like, "Mm," and I'll answer their questions. But then I'm like, ding, 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 what's going on here? So of course, I like looked up those questions. And it's like pointing to autism. So anyways, like on the hard days, 
I mean, it would be her crying a lot, really like kind of like wanting big hugs, but then like throwing herself out of my arms. If like there was an overwhelming situation with too many people kind of like flailing around on the ground, like, but still like, I didn't understand what was leading to those things because it it wasn't always the same. And now I've learned that in some capacities, she is seeking more input, which leads to kind of non-typical behaviors in her effort to get extra input. And then in other scenarios, she's like trying to like get less input because she's overwhelmed. And I was not understanding that that's what was leading to some of this acting out behavior but yeah it would I mean it's like everything's cool I think I think everything's fine and then we're at the mall for one minute too long and it's a total meltdown so and I could never put my finger on when it was going to happen prior to me really doing a lot more research after I started the whole early intervention and then medical diagnostic process so you were either pregnant or nearly pregnant when you were unraveling this new life you were embarking upon, right? Yeah. And that, I would say that added, well, because then not only was I pregnant and tired and whatever, I also was like, then had a brand new baby, was trying to get back to work after having like with a newborn and this, this daughter that is having some troubles. And so I want to get her the support she needs, but I don't know exactly what that support needs to be because nobody tells you that's the other thing that's really hard. It's just hard because no one says what's going to be best for your kid. You have to figure out every option out there, which is overwhelming in itself. And then you have to decide which one is right for your kid. So it was really hard to not only, I mean, thank God for early intervention, but it's like one hour separate days every day of the week. So I'm like working from home, trying to like hide from my kids while my sister watches them downstairs, because if I come out, it's a nervous breakdown. So I'm like hiding in my room upstairs and then trying to run downstairs to be there and be present for the three separate days, one hour sessions, and then go back upstairs and try to not feel bad that my daughter's crying hysterically because mommy just left. Like it was a lot. And that was just with the early intervention. I'd say probably one of the hardest moments was when early intervention said like, Hey, I think we aren't seeing as much progress as we would expect after six months we recommend a medical diagnostic. And even then, they did not want to say exactly why they recommended it. They were always very vague. They're like, I don't want to, you know, freak her out. Yeah, I'm sure some parents are super resistant and upset about the diagnosis and they're not qualified to give it, I guess. But when they said, like, we recommend the medical diagnostic, I was, that made me really uncomfortable at the time because they weren't answering like the why they were like, just, we're not seeing the progress. We think there might be an underlying issue that's causing the lack of progress. And there's no better way to move forward than to have a thorough understanding of what all is contributing to the difficulties in moving forward, which makes sense. But I was also like, that's not <laughs> that's not enough, but okay. Yeah. I've recently linked up with an organization called Sounds of Autism. The program is so that a parent can come in and get all of this information 
from while pregnant to kids going off into the world with all of the resources there because everybody else is compartmentalizing, right? Like some don't want to give a diagnosis because funding requirements, you know, and some don't want to tell you this because they don't really have to, and they don't want to like put their foot in their mouth or something like that. And it's like, and we're in this time that's so challenging for parent and especially a first time parent. And so I'm really excited. I'll I'll bring it up more as we unfold in California. I know Illinois was one of the states that is going to be early in its development as well. It's so that a parent can go in there and figure out what their child needs and have the resources all right there and not have people conflicting or fighting in conflict with one another. So more on that later. Can you tell me how your husband and you handled it emotionally and were you on the same page the entire time or not? We were not like in exact sync the entire time. I definitely think we're on the same page now. The moment between being told maybe we should go for a medical diagnostic to getting the results, like I for sure, because I didn't know much about autism and I didn't know many people with autism, I wasn't expecting the diagnosis, uh, but I also wasn't going to be shocked. But I went and I was there by myself because he has to work out of the house. And so I got the diagnosis and I just started crying because I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to have to tell my husband this. Like, that mm. sucks. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So it was scary because you're like, man, I don't know anybody with this. Like, what about her life is going to change? Like, what can I do to make sure she can become the most awesome version of herself possible? And and if like the standard typical education process or the standard of everything isn't going to allow her to fulfill the most fabulous version of herself, then I've got to figure out what that is. And that was super scary to figure out what that was. And so after some nervousness and figuring it out with my husband, we read a lot of books and we talked with the different therapists with early intervention. And, you know, every day you understand a little bit more about it and how you can be a better support to your child. But honestly, once they gave me the diagnosis, I took a leave of absence for, I thought it was going to be one week. And I took a leave of absence for three weeks because all I kept hearing was there's so many resources. There's so many resources. And I'm like, okay, great. But like, how do I put those things into logistical real life action? Because I only have so much time to read after work. I only have, you know, and I was talking to parents of kids with autism that I knew throughout my whole community. I was like, just so overwhelmed that, yeah, I think the best decision I ever made was after that diagnosis, just taking a couple weeks leave of absence so I could get it all sorted out because knowing that there's resources and not being able or having the bandwidth to navigate through them all is just even more overwhelming. So for me, thank God I had been at that company forever and it was, it was something I could do, but if I didn't have that time, I'm sure I would just be like a hot mess at this very moment still, you know, seven months later. Yeah. That time period because is so challenging because yeah, we're 
they're our children, right? We want to get them on a great track. And now the track that we thought we knew might not be the track that our child needs. And we don't know where that track is. At the same time, we're mourning the loss of all of these things we thought were going to happen. I mean, for me, the Saturday's sports was like, it was a hard thing for me to deal with. That was something I thought would be in the future, you know, and now I'm like, I don't know if my son will ever talk, you know, and, and kind of changing those expectations. Yeah. I mean, that was the scariest part with the diagnosis, but I will say I am super grateful that we got things in motion as early as we did for her, because even just since she started going to like the early childhood program through our school district and some other therapies going on, like she's talking a lot more and which I know it's not all just about speech, but like for her, there's a lot of other things she is able to do. Like she can feed herself. She can, you know, follow instructions, like all, a lot of things are really going well. And I'm super grateful for that because I know it could be a lot harder but I'm just like, think she's going to be able to make it through this world a lot easier if she can say what she needs or what she doesn't want. And so I guess that's why my focus personally has been so heavily on the speech piece. She sounds like a, a great candidate for the early intervention. And it sounds like you got started as early as you can. So I have two children and one's low functioning and we've done work for 13 years and I mean, the improvement is so tiny, whereas my daughter, like yours, is soaking it up and thriving and kind of coming out. But I tell you, my son is almost my greatest teacher because it's teaching me that the expectations that I had, they were wrong to begin with. Like expectations in general are what cripple us as human beings, right? Because yeah. we're not being, we're fortune telling and and we're just setting ourselves up for letdown because nobody's ever going to act the way our kids are never going to perform the way we you know what I mean instead right. of, instead of just enjoying the unfolding of their life exactly and that's why even though it was scary to get the diagnosis i was so grateful to have it because it told me what i needed to understand more thoroughly in order to connect with her better. I mean, like, thankfully, she, you know, makes eye contact with me and she loves hugs and kisses. And that piece is wonderful, but had gotten used to the fact that, like, she never said mom, never said mom a single time. And understanding that, like, uh, just autism in general better by reading, understanding the sensory stuff going on and all that stuff, it allowed me to not unintentionally put her in situations that are super overwhelming to her. Cause I don't want to do that, but I don't have, like, I have no sense of what would overwhelm somebody who is autistic. So it was really helpful to be able to do research on that. And now I don't feel like, man, why are you acting so weird? We're just at a baseball game. You know, <laughs> now I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't go to a crosstown classic baseball game with a million people and the loudest noise ever. And so now I can do that. And slowly but surely, she's making progress. And I, I didn't even remember that I hadn't heard her say mom. And then last week we were driving home from like birthday thing with just me and my husband. And 
my mom held up the camera and she said, say hi to your mom and dad. She said, hi, mom. Aww. And I cried. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't realize, like, wow, it's been three years and she never said my name, you know. So things are looking up, but it can definitely be, like, pretty overwhelming to coordinate all the resources that are super helpful, but like, it's a lot to do all at the same time and piece it all together for sure. So what do you say to the parent out there that is at the stage where they heard that there's a lot of resources out there that <laughs> have no idea where to go find one? I mean, how did, how did you start putting that together? I read so much. I also talked to a bunch of people. My sister is a hairstylist, so she has clients that she's known for decades and she knows if their kids are autistic. And I just called and talked to them. You know, she checked with them and then I called and I was like, hey, how did it go for you? What did you use? And even that is challenging because if they were a stay at home mom, their options are going to look a little different than mine. But after I think it was like three or four conversations with her clients and then with people that had done early intervention that the therapists kind of were like, I think she might be willing to, you know, talk to you. Like I talked to like four different ladies about their kids and what was helpful to them. That was good. And then I didn't expect it, but the Facebook groups, like on parents of autistic children on Facebook, I thought like, ugh, why? that's no, is what I initially thought. And then, you know what? Every once in a while, somebody's talking about something, you're not, you're like, yeah, man, like I relate, I understand, or like, oh, that's a good thing to keep an eye out for. And it makes you feel less alone. And then a lot of those people too have figured out how to navigate the different state, like thing, you know, the government stuff, which I tried. And then I was like, you know what, I guess I, I just need to get a job that pays more because like the same working out. So <laughs> anyways, that's what I did mostly. But also, I think those are the biggest things that helped. And I think that's great advice. And I think my experience having special needs child led me to isolation. So it's kind of the opposite, like the solution is sort of the opposite of what I think is easy to fall into because it feels lonely. It feels different. It feels like people aren't going to relate until you find out that there's millions of people that can relate. They're just not necessarily at the cubicle next to you at work. In my 30s, and I know one autistic person from my entire life, and it was only because he was visibly, obviously had something wrong because he couldn't talk. He was like 20. Like, that's the only connection I had. And then through these Facebook groups and like just not being secretive or ashamed or sad or whatever about it, it helped me to see what my options are, see what people's experiences were like with those different options, and then really be like pragmatic about like, okay, what do I want to try? Like trying to be as logical as possible about like things that I was like, do I want to do that? Is it going to be worthwhile? Like you hear different things about different types of therapies and hearing from a lot of different parents helped me to feel like, okay, it's not the end of the world. If I try this path and I don't like it, I can just cancel, you know, <laughs> like, and that's yeah. okay. Yeah. So you come across to me as a very positive person. Like you give off a positive vibe about you. How dark did you go before you were able to find that 
true nature of yourself, that positive vibe that you're putting out now. Did it get dark? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there was until I read everything I could possibly consume. And even along the way, I mean, there after the diagnosis, you know, we kind of had to keep going on with life and stuff. But there were a lot of days where I just like cried a lot spontaneously, like just thinking or realizing for the first time that what you thought was going to happen is not what it's going to be like, or, you know, how hard is this whole life going to be? So yeah, there was a lot of that. And then, and then I feel like what pulled me out of it, it was super helpful to have a husband who was on the same page was like, we're going to figure this out. I mean, he was always encouraging. Like (laughs) as soon as I called to tell him about the diagnosis, his first words were, okay, but how are you doing? Because, you know, he's like, whatever it is, it is. But in the end, I know that you're the one that's probably going to have to figure out what we're going to have to do just because, I mean, that is the luxury of working from home, you have a little bit more in between. So I'm really grateful that he has been supportive and encouraging all throughout it and that we have the internet. So I can just like see that I'm not the only one. And a lot of people has figured out a lot of stuff. And then I can see what this worked for other people really easily. That has helped immensely. And also just accepting that like, just the same way you don't know exactly what to do as a parent of any kid. Like, you don't know exactly what to do as a parent of a kid with autism or any special need. So all you can do is the best decision based on the information that you have right now and give it a shot. If it do, you know, if it doesn't feel right, then you can stop. But you don't need to beat yourself up in advance of making a potentially wrong decision. Like, <laughs> you just try to get the info and then make the best decision you can right now. Yeah. Uh, Do you do anything else to care for your (laughs) well-being? I should do more. I mean, every day, I know it's a little thing, but a couple years ago, even before this, and it's been really important since we've been on this autism journey, is just starting my day, just saying three new things. I try to find new things every day, but just saying, what three things am I grateful for today? And it's so simple. And even if it's like, ooh, an electric toothbrush because my teeth feel super clean now. But like in the end, the importance of that is that it changes my mindset at the very beginning of the day to think about gratitude and like what is possible and and the light, like you were saying in the opening. It's like, like good things cannot happen in the dark. It's like you have to be in the light. And a simple three things I'm grateful for at the beginning of the day really puts me in the mindset to like, I can do these things. I will find the solution. Even if it doesn't seem clear now, it puts me where I need to be. I think that's one of the powerhouse tools that we have because it's easy to get depressed and fall into the dark and feel isolated. And then it's a real struggle to live. Um, I also learned one time because the second diagnosis for me, like, was the thing that cracked the, my marriage as well. Yeah. So, and a lot of marriages. So, I, it was really inspiring to hear how sweet your husband is, and just it sounds like you have a, a great guy. It sounds like you guys are a great team. Is somebody told me that 
the person, place, or thing that I'm most mad about needs to be the first thing on my gratitude list. And I'm like, I'm not putting my, you know, my ex, you know what I mean? But it forced me to change because there's always some, she's the mom of my kids. You know, she spent seven years breastfeeding five kids. Yeah. Now the list, there's a long list of all these amazing things that this person I've struggled with, you know what I mean? So just for the parents out there, I really second you on the gratitude list and even try putting something that's difficult for you on your list to change your perspective. Because I mean, today I believe life is beautiful and I believe the world's designed to succeed. And it wasn't, I didn't always believe that. We do like, just so we can get some more of your thoughts in a quicker fashion, we do a little lightning round where we ask questions. You give kind of a one word to one sentence answer. Are you up for it? Yeah. Okay. What's the best advice you have received? She can't do anything else if she needs to scratch that itch when it comes to sensory seeking or or needing uh, less sensory input. I love that. I love that. That it's like being pregnant and sick and having back surgery all at the same time. Like, how could you go to work if you had all that stuff going on? Like, that's how it feels when you're having sensory issues. Like, of course, you're not going to learn how to talk. You are barely keeping yourself together. That's I love that. I love that. Thank you for that. What online or offline course topic would you sign up for today if it was available? Honestly, I don't know. Do you have a top resource or recommendation to share with other parents? Early intervention, if your kid is young enough. Occupational therapy, though. Like, I thought, like, oh, she doesn't need her knees to work so she can go to work. Why would we need occupational therapy? <laughs> Just trust the process. Go do it. It's going to help. It's going to unleash the possibility. I like that. What's the next thing on your list that you want to add for your individual well-being? Going for a walk every day. Nice. Sounds peaceful. Right? Yeah. What's one thing you think would improve your life if you did it or had it? Ooh, daycares that have support for kids with special needs so oh, they don't God. have to go to some weird only, I don't just yeah. daycares that can cater to people with special needs. I love that. Uh, do you have a favorite product that you use for yourself, your child, or your family that you just love, love, love? Yes. Two things. One are these necklaces that are like rubber necklaces that you can chew on. Yes. Because my daughter chews everything. And that is like a quick solution. And honestly, most sensory seeking behaviors that she does, like I'll just be like, stick it in her mouth. And she's like, okay, nah, nah, nah. And everything's cool. And then also these like super soft microfiber towels. She used to hate getting out of the tub. It was like a catastrophe every time. And those make a big difference. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. I thank you for taking the time and sharing your heart with us from what we've talked about or just anything that's on your heart. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts for the listeners? I would just say that just give yourself some grace. You can only do so much each day. And I think 
understanding your child more fully is always going to be the best way to move that forward and uh, give yourself some grace. Don't think you're going to magically know exactly what to do every time, but as long as you're trying, that's good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Aaron. I'd love to stay connected and touch base down the road and just build a big loving family of people who understand and support one another. Yeah, that sounds great. All right. Well, I wish you all the best. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. This concludes our show for today. And I'd like to personally thank you for spending the time with us on a topic near and dear to our hearts. If you'd like to be part of the Naked Parent Nation and help us reach those parents that are struggling and overwhelmed, there's no better way to help than by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show on iTunes. iTunes highlights the shows based on these metrics. And the more the show gets highlighted, the more opportunities people will have to be introduced to the show where they can hear that message of hope or that tip that can change everything. So follow the link in our show notes and we hope to have you back here tomorrow where we'll do it again. From the team here at the Naked Parent Podcast, we wish you the life you've always dreamed of and then some. So long. So long.